2: Nick, you ready?
3: Yeah. It's just such a fundamentally unjust situation that we have.
4: Stunning economic news tonight. Job creation in the state fell by an astounding oh. 70% last year.
5: Is it was Mama who called me one day in college? Oh, no. To tell me dad had died of an Oxycontin overdose.
1: Because she was unable to provide proof of health insurance, she was denied the appropriate care. Hannah.
0: If you're making under $93,000 a year in Hawaii, then you're considered low
3: income. When I was 11, my father passed away.
4: When I heard Ah. the words breast cancer... Oh, come on. Relentless.
0: Yeah, this is some of the most depressing audio I've ever heard.
4: Yeah, It's, it's a bummer. Now, listen to this.
3: Braddock is much better off than it was 12 years ago. Yeah.
6: You know, I love Wisconsin. Heart swelling a little bit.
3: Yeah, because it's worth the fight. We must
0: fight loudly and proudly for Medicare for all. Hope and action, anger. Yeah. We have to do something better for our children. Things are going to change.
4: It's like a montage in a movie. It's like when things turn around, right?
0: Yeah, it's like my favorite part of every movie. Yes. The Rocky montage. So
4: you feel better, right? Yeah, I
0: do feel a lot better.
4: That's how you're supposed to feel.
0: So what's up with this emotional roller coaster?
4: Well, Nick, that is the sound of someone trying to convince you to vote for them in 2018. A campaign ad that doubles as a heart-wrenching autobiography, the story of a youth who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and grew into a grateful and nurturing adult, but remains frustrated by the way the world works and wants to do something about it. It's
0: heavy stuff.
4: It is heavier than you can imagine. These ads, which look pretty expensive, by the way, are just one teeny tiny piece of the campaign puzzle. And that puzzle is even more puzzling in a midterm election. Did you solve the puzzle? Absolutely not. But I did talk to a lot of smart people who have. Because that is how we do it. Because this is Civics 101, the podcast refresher course on how our democracy works. I'm Hannah McCarthy. And
0: I'm Nick Capodice.
4: And today we are talking money, shoe leather and grass roots. Today we are talking campaigns. The sound of campaigning is in constant flux. In the 1960s, there was a lot of just repeating candidate names over and over. Nixon, 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 Nixon. In the 80s, you had a lot of stare at the camera and keep it serious going on. Kansas agriculture needs our support. I'm asking for yours on November 6th. And the Hollywoodish melancholy of today will probably be replaced by a whole new sound four years from now. Numbers shift, tactics shift, campaign finance laws shift. But the principles of campaigning, the bare necessities, those are locked in your state constitution. My name is Miley Foster. I'm a small business owner and
1: single mom, and I'm running for State House District 18 as an independent, and that's the central Colorado Springs area.
4: A while back, Miley was approached by an organization called Unite America.
0: Imagine a government that unites rather than divides us. One that takes
1: action on issues most They Americans identify
4: independents in various states and then try to get them to run for office. You know how people love saying, I'm not a politician in their campaign ads? Yeah. I'm a businessman, not a politician.
1: Kip's not a politician. He's not a
6: politician of convenience. Here are my politician endorsements. None.
4: Miley is very much not a politician. She's a financial advisor. And before that, she worked for IBM. So I wanted to know where someone like her begins after agreeing to something like this. You know, you wake up the next day. What do you do first? <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: well, it's. It's this big, thick, three-ring binder of to-do list is what
0: it is. A binder? You mean like a literal binder? There's an instruction manual on how to run campaigns?
4: Yeah, the people from Unite America just shipped her this hulking how-to manual. Well, I
1: will just start on this to-do list. Oh, we have to file paperwork with the secretary of state. You have to form a committee and... Get a tax ID number. I mean, you are basically start from scratch starting the business almost. And But there's additional financial and regulatory reporting requirements. And because I had that all spelled out for me, it was not too hard to just start going down the list. This is what you got to do to kick off a campaign.
0: So you just file some paperwork with the secretary of state. It's just that easy?
4: Actually, there is one major step that had to come first.
1: And so right from day one, as soon as it was like uh, May 17th was the first day I could go get signatures. And so that very first day, I was out talking to people to get
4: signatures, to get on the ballot.
0: So signatures, so people have to go out and vote for her before they vote for her?
4: Yeah, this is called nomination by petition. And just for the record, ballot access laws vary from state to state. So if you're planning to run, you should give your election officials a call. But in Miley's case, since she was going independent, she needed at least 400 signatures to get on the ballot. State Senate requires 600. U.S. House requires 800. It's a cool thousand for U.S. Senate. The rules are different for major and minor parties as well.
0: So Miley got her 400?
4: Actually, she scored 637 signatures.
0: I mean, that seems like an awful lot of work just to get started campaigning. Uh, But once you do that, what's the next step?
1: You need someone to help you manage uh, finance. You need a treasurer. You need someone to help you with volunteers and help recruiting volunteers. You need someone to build a
4: website.
0: So people. So for, even for a small statehouse seat, you need a whole team?
4: Yeah, it's kind of amazing to think of how many operations like this are going on around the country during an election year. And, you know, even with volunteers, this stuff costs money. Which means on top of her day job, Miley has to put in hours every day, making calls and hoofing it from one door to the next, introducing herself and asking for money.
1: The first priority, of course, was raising money because I made a choice of obviously I'm not going to get money from a political party because I don't want to be beholden to a political party.
4: I should point out here that the group that recruited Miley does help to fund campaigns. It's a super PAC registered with the FEC, specifically designed to be nonpartisan. But they don't cover all expenses, and Miley has to do a lot of legwork on her own. She actually told me that she outraised all of her opponents. Well, that's
0: actually, that's not bad for someone who's never campaigned before. Yeah. but I'm still trying to figure out. What a campaign actually looks like for a candidate who's not in office, like fundraising, courting voters, creating a platform. How does that all work?
1: Well, a typical day is I'm up at five thirty I'm working my day job at maybe by seven or seven thirty, which i didn't I didn't quite used to be up that early, <laughs>
4: but I'm just having to extend the day a little bit so Miley's up. She does her financial advising thing. And then I try to go into campaign mode
1: about three o'clock. So at least probably an hour a day raising money. And that's either phone calls or coordinating um, uh, fundraising events and things like that. Now I'm really trying to meet people, especially people in my district, to understand what I need to do to earn their vote. And I learned something about myself is that it was hard for me to do more than two hours of walking when it was 90 degrees.
0: (laughs) Even with all these advances and changes that have morphed the political landscape since, say like, I, I like Ike era. You like Ike, I
3: like Ike,
4: everybody likes
3: Ike.
0: It sounds like campaigning's pretty analog.
4: Well, voters need to see you, right? They need to know your face. They need to hear your voice, especially if they have no idea who you are. That means thousands of candidates around the country flooding the internet, television, radio, your mailbox, your doorway, with their face and their
2: message.
1: I'm James.
2: So a lot of the kind of work that goes into a midterm campaign on the challenger's end is just making sure that voters know who they are. This is Leah. I'm Leah Askarinam. I'm a reporter and analyst for Inside Elections with Nathan Gonzalez. Uh, We provide nonpartisan analysis of gubernatorial and federal races.
4: Leah makes clear that even step one, making sure
2: voters know who you are— cannot happen without a lot of cash without money nothing else really matters
4: and that once you've got that money it's a matter of appealing to voters and in a midterm election that often means appealing to a country that wants to punish its president
0: this comes back to the referendum on the president idea
4: exactly and we get into that a bit more in our episode on why
2: midterms matter so make sure to check that out Anyway, let's say there's a Democrat in the Oval Office. So you'll see candidates try to say, listen, I don't like the Democratic Party either. I'm not a Democrat for the powerful.
0: I'll be a governor who empowers you.
2: I don't like Nancy Pelosi either.
0: That I've said from day one that I won't vote for Nancy Pelosi.
2: I like the old Democratic Party and I want to help you, the workers. It's time we acknowledge that not all Democrats are the same. Um, And I want to make sure that you have health care and that you have a good paying job.
4: So it's like when we think about the rules of politicking, about sticking to your party's message, midterms are like this alternate universe in which a party loyalist might end up campaigning against the tenets of their party. And the same goes for voters. With this referendum in the air, some become
2: swayable. So people who are registered Democrats because... They were Democrats in the 1980s who have since voted pretty much exclusively for Republicans to get them to kind of come back to their party. Um, And that also includes some independents, people who maybe formerly were Democrats, felt that the Democratic Party abandoned them, but felt that the Republican Party wasn't the best fit either.
0: This may sound cynical, but it sounds like the midterms are a perfect opportunity to cash in on disillusionment, to say... Like, I hear you. This party's a real mess. It's been a real bummer, but you can vote for me because I'm not one of those Democrats. Right. I'm, I'm kind of Democrat you wish still existed. I'm your I'm your grandfather's Democrat.
4: Or you go the route of Miley Foster and run independent. Right. Which means you can campaign on fiscal responsibility and education like Miley is without those commitments carrying the weight of political affiliation. And Miley, by the way, is an example of one of these kind of soul searching voters. She was a Republican for most of her life and then registered Democrat for a little while before she finally became an independent.
0: Is there a certain demographic of the population who's more or less likely to be swayed by this independent campaign?
4: I think it varies from year to year along with the political climate. Uh, But, for example, in this year's midterm, there has been a lot of attention on suburban
2: white educated women. And so you'll see Democrats in other districts try to get those voters. So they're trying to make Republican suburban Republicans feel comfortable not voting for the Republican Party.
4: You might see this with an independent or a moderate Democrat candidate who can sway voters with, let's say, conservative ideas combined with a strong sense of checks and balances. So,
0: but I've seen a lot of these ads and it seems like the strategy is a little less nuanced like a democrat who appeals to gun rights activists by shooting a gun the entire time that they're on camera and i approve this message
4: i've seen a lot of those so many guns and ads (laughs) and i'll
1: take dead aim at the cap and trade bill
4: it's true i'm
1: a straight shooter
4: The tactic that you take all depends on where you're running and what pollsters have dug up on your community's demographics and ideas. It's a pretty delicate balance.
3: Well, I'll just tell you that uh, all elections are tough, um, but a midterm election is a little bit uh, more difficult depending on, on which party you're a part of.
4: This is Bakari Sellers, former state rep from South Carolina, currently a lawyer and a CNN commentator.
3: If you're a party of The individual in the White House, um, usually you have to run against Washington, D.C., as we say, and sometimes that gets kind of difficult. You want to stay away from the national politics and just run your own race. If you're in the opposition party or if you're a Democrat in 2018, what you want to do is run against the White House and your opponent. If you're running during the midterm election, in in 2010, what you saw was, was many Democrats, some Democrats even ran against the Affordable Care Act. Many Democrats didn't want Barack Obama campaigning in their district. You're starting to see a lot of that, or you're seeing a lot of that in 2018 with Donald Trump.
0: Seriously? So some Democrats in 2010 called up Obama and they were like, would you mind just staying away from Nebraska this time of year?
4: Well, if the midterm is almost always a referendum on the president, right, then distancing yourself from the president might be the safer bet in some states. I talked to a political science professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison who got a little deeper into this idea of, you know, running your own race. This is Barry Burton.
5: So members of the president's party tend to want to make elections about local issues and about them as people. So they want to emphasize what political scientists call the personal vote, reminding constituents in the district who they are as an individual, often kind of identifying with constituents, reminding them that, hey, I, I grew up here or I share values with you or I've been working for you in Washington or I, I share the same goals as you. So I'm not really part of that Washington establishment. Lots of members of Congress and, and challengers actually run for Congress by running against it. They, they criticize the institution and try to convince voters that they will be the ones to go to Washington and help clean up the mess. So in a midterm election, we're seeing personal vote versus the national vote? Uh, Democrats, say in 2018, would very much like this to be a national referendum and to bring in lots of members of their party. So to create a kind of wave or tide or whatever metaphor you like, whereas members of the president's party, Republicans this year, want to insulate themselves from the tide and build a kind of levy or life preserver or something so they can uh, weather the storm.
4: In these uncertain waters, you can think of the president as either your buoy or the cement shoes dragging you to the bottom. The party not affiliated with the president swims toward what's going on nationally, while the party represented by the president might do better staying far away from the shore where it's safe.
0: So what is the president's job during a
5: midterm? In terms of campaigning,
0: because he's got some people who are trying to, like, steer clear of his messaging and policies, and there's others who are on the attack against it.
5: It's a delicate dance for a president in a midterm. They want, obviously, to help their party, uh, keep their party's seat share in the legislature, if not grow it, or minimize the losses. They would do a lot of fundraising, and some of that is out of public view. So they're doing private fundraisers, gathering millions of dollars, and then trying to distribute that to members of their party who could use the funds, who are really in some close races and would benefit from some additional campaign money. Okay, so the president is using his position of power to
0: like generate some cash flow, even if he isn't straight up campaigning for candidates in his party.
4: Right. Uh, And there are areas of the country where it's totally helpful for the president to campaign. But he's got to be strategic.
5: In terms of going out on the campaign trail and giving stump speeches they're going to be careful about that. They don't want to go into places where they're unpopular, and they might create kind of a backlash and remind voters that the candidate in that state or district who's from their party is also linked to the president, and that might kind of amplify the penalty that that party faces. So, you know, they will often deploy to safe districts where they can raise a lot of money and help somebody who's on their side.
4: So here's the deal. There are plenty of places in the country that are solidly, overwhelmingly for the president. And those districts matter. But to me, they're kind of the white bread of the midterm elections. They're predictable. They're the safe bet. If you want to understand what makes midterms unique, what gives them a personality all their own, look to the districts where things are up in the air. A midterm election takes a swing state, a swing town, and truly tests the mettle of candidates in that area. Wait,
0: how is this different from every other election year? Because we're always looking at swing states to see how things are going to shake up.
4: The big difference here is turnout. It's lower in a midterm year than it is in a presidential election year. And fewer voters mean higher stakes when it comes to campaign messaging, especially because the people turning out to vote tend to be driven to the polls by strong conviction. If you can swing the electorate in your direction in a midterm, especially if that direction is away from their typical status quo, then you've accomplished something huge. The candidate who manages to pull that off has played the midterm campaign game to a T. And if enough candidates do just that, it can change everything. Like a peaceful revolution, coordinated and precise campaigning in a midterm election can shake state sometimes even federal Congress, and flip control. This doesn't happen often, by the way. It takes some crazy political will and circumstance. But it is possible. In the past three decades, we saw this in 1994.
1: Democrats lost the House they would controlled for all but four years since 1932. They lost the Senate they controlled for all but six of the previous 40 years.
4: 2006.
1: Good evening, call it a revolution or a rebuke. Democrats are now in charge in the House. They needed 15 seats to retake the majority.
4: And 2010.
6: Republicans will take control of the House of Representatives.
4: It is really hard to pull off a total switch of power, changing who holds the reins at the very top. But with the right political climate and some intense campaigning, midterm elections can change everything. Before we go, I want to take you inside of one of those crazy, landscape-changing elections of the past. It's considered a full-blown political revolution. And Brady Carlson, host and reporter at Wisconsin Public Radio, is here to break it down. Which midterm are we talking, Brady?
6: This is the midterm of 1994. And if modern Americans know about any midterm in particular... 1994 is often the one that they know about. Well, the first player is Bill Clinton. He was in the middle of his first term as president, the first Democrat to win the White House in 12 years, the man from Hope. I was born in a little town called Hope, Arkansas, three months after my father died. I remember and... Everybody talks today about how charismatic he was and and how popular he was. And that wasn't necessarily the case when he first got started. He ended his term as a relatively popular president. But in the early going, he ran into lots of roadblocks. Remember the first few issues that he made policy moves on, like the expansive health care proposal? Our health care is too uncertain and too expensive. The Brady Bill, so he's adding waiting periods and background checks on guns. The Brady Bill is not just symbolism. Lifting the ban on gay service members. The debate over whether to lift the ban on homosexuals in the military has, to put it mildly, sparked a great deal of interest over the last few days. These were all big pushback items at the time and even the things that he did manage to get through like he got approval for the North American Free Trade Agreement or NAFTA that wasn't massively popular with the Democratic base and this is all at a time when there's also talk about like the whitewater real estate scandal, continued rumors of womanizing.
1: Which she calls a 12-year affair with you.
6: That allegation is false. So these are all things that are working not in Clinton's favor. Classic ingredients in that midterm losses stew. And at the same time, you have Republicans launching this very well-organized, well-funded and national campaign to win seats in Congress. This is where they launched what was known as the Contract with America. It was a set of bills. They said, if you choose us in the midterms, here's what we'll do in office. We are going to get... To the final recorded votes in the first 100 days on every item. And a lot of opposition parties will just campaign against whoever's in power. And this is a case where the opposition party was also offering an agenda. The Democrats had majorities in. Both houses, they had had a majority in the House for decades. The Senate had gone back and forth a few times, but there were pretty substantial majorities for the Democrats in both chambers at that point. 1994 was the biggest loss by the party in power in a generation.
2: That Capitol is a very different building this morning. It is in Republican hands, solidly in Republican hands. Indeed, the House is Republican.
6: Democrats lost 52 House seats, eight Senate seats, and so it was the first time Republicans had majorities in both chambers of Congress since 1954. The Speaker of the House was one of the Democrats who lost his seat. And at the state level, it was big for Republicans, too. So their candidates were beating prominent national Democrats like the then governor of New York, Mario Cuomo. People know his son, Andrew Cuomo, who's governor today. Uh, or the then governor of Texas, Ann Richards, who lost her position to the Republican challenger, who was a then baseball executive named George W. Bush.
1: I like to go to the ball games, and I try to you know, lend a sense of the kind of
6: fan's owner. And so what happened was the Republicans, led by the new Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich of Georgia, Started talking about this election in terms of a Republican revolution, that people weren't just repudiating a first term president. This was a case where the American people had chosen a new majority party and they wanted a new course for American politics that things were going to be different from then on. And for a while, it actually sounded a little bit like that was what was going to happen. I remember a couple of months after that midterm, there was a press conference from President Clinton. And he responded to one of the reporter's questions by basically saying, yes, everybody's paying attention to Speaker Gingrich and the Republicans, but I'm still relevant. I'm the president. I still have something to add to this the president is relevant here, especially an activist president. And the fact that I am willing to work with the Republicans. What an extraordinary thing to happen that the president of the United States has to remind you that he's relevant. Well, this was the catch that Republicans had become convinced that they had won the midterms because of the contract with America, that voters had chosen them and that because of that, voters were Choosing their policy agenda. And some voters were, of course, but not all of them. I mean, a midterm is still a midterm. Even if Republicans offered a policy agenda and offered a contract with America and offered legislation, there were still a lot of people who may have voted for that party's candidates who were really just mad at the new president and wanted to balance out his power. And so the Republican majorities, as they were starting to put some of this legislation out there, the bills to change welfare programs, the bill to change taxes, they started to see pushback to those policy plans, just like the Clinton administration had seen pushback against its plans. And at the same time that you're seeing that opposition, President Clinton, who is still relevant, as he said, found his political footing again. He had he tacked to the left when he started and that didn't work so he tacked back toward the center. He basically co-opted some of the more popular parts of the contract with America and very vocally criticized and campaigned against the less popular ones. So he had rebranded himself at the same time that the Republicans had tried to write him off. The U.S. economy had started to improve, and so you have this rapidly changing political climate again. And so two years after Bill Clinton had basically been written off by a lot of people, uh, he was winning re-election. Tonight we celebrate the miracle of America. Tomorrow we greet the dawn and begin our work anew.
0: Thanks for listening to Civics 101. There is a whole lot more where that came from in our series on the midterm. So make sure to become obsessed with it as we are.
4: Today's episode was produced by me, Hannah McCarthy, with Nick Capodice and Jackie Helbert. Erica Janik is our executive producer.
0: Maureen McMurray is a straight shooter all the way.
4: If you want more Civics 101 or you've got a burning question about how this whole crazy democratic experiment actually works... We have got a website for that, civics101podcast.org. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Civics101pod.
0: Music in this episode is by Diamond Ortiz, Poddington Bear, Jazar, Dan Lebowitz, and our old friends, Blue Dot Sessions.
4: Civics 101 is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
0: Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New Miracle-Gro organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality
1: ingredients. Miracle-Gro is simply the best.